Hey guys, welcome to this version of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I have no idea what number it is. I think Jenna wrote the other day that it was podcast number 59. That's crazy. Time goes fast. We have Kevin Hendricks here. He teaches a course called Dark Web Investigations. Is that the appropriate name for it? Uh, yeah, Dark Web and Cybercrime. Oh, and Cybercrime yeah, Investigations. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Hendrick is uh, detailed out to a task force for a federal agency, and he has been investigating dark web crimes for quite a few years. He is our instructor. He's the lead guy for it. So without further ado, hi, Kevin. I appreciate that intro, Dennis. I'm no longer uh, loaned out to a federal task force. Okay, so you're just working locally. Yes, I'm back with my PD. Okay, but are you working the internet crimes section of it? I still, I guess, have a uh, purview in things like that. Some of the cases that I uh, left when I was with the federal task force, I still have are pending and things like that. Okay, yeah, so you, you generally, when you go to a task force, you've got to button things up before you can just depart. Yeah, completely. yeah, it's not just an easy uh, rip out of there. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, so let's go over some things that are important for people to know. Maybe some insight into the dark web, some of the things that are going on there, and some practicalities or valuable insights you can give to law enforcement officers listening to this on what to do when encountering some dark web stuff or signs to look for, maybe things like that. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I, I start off by saying I challenge you to find a uh, an area of crime that is faster rising in the world than cybercrime. It's what's taking up the headlines now, specifically about ransomware and things of that nature. But with the dark web specifically, uh, with, with our class, we talk about dark web narcotics. Uh, realistically, the dark net markets, uh, how people are procuring those drugs on the dark net with cryptocurrencies, and how those drugs are ultimately shipped to the purchasers. And realistically, when people think it's not going on in their jurisdictions, maybe they're in a large metropolis or maybe they're in a smaller quiet town um it is and this class is more of an eye-opener for that to really look at what's going on in your jurisdictions to see maybe the overdoses that are happening the narcan deployments things of that nature following up with those you know building some strict liability cases drug-induced homicide death cases uh you know interviewing uh people that are recipients of these narcotics they purchased online and trying to build your cases from a local level and also working with federal partners because a lot of these cases, you know, the boots on the ground are the state and local PDs and they get worked up all the way to the United States Attorney's offices. So it's it's really a great class to come to in the sense where maybe you have no idea about this stuff or maybe you might be a little bit versed in it. Anybody coming to this class, whether you're a patrolman, investigator, or supervisor, you're going to take a lot away from it. Yeah, I always say that people really need to have a good understanding and a grasp of the possibilities or the realm of possibilities where things could be originating from. So if anybody doing interdiction work might be able to immediately tie things back to the yeah. dark web. Uh, but I think a lot of things in general, when you're coming across something and you have no, like literally no concept or idea of what the heck is going on here, I use heck like we're on a PG yeah. podcast. <laughs> what the hell is going on here? And you're all looking around bewildered and nobody knows what the dark web is. So let's talk about some of the important signs of when you might come across something that's involved with a dark web investigation. The most, um, I guess, common 
instance I could think of would be a response to an overdose, uh, whether that is a call from a family member that somebody's not responsive, uh, that results in a Narcan deployment, or whether it's an unattended death and the family calls because they haven't heard from this person in a few days. You know, the initial response for that PD that's responding to that uh, call you can start to look for things. You know, we get complacent with cases like these, uh, especially with Narcan deployments, how it's just become so routine that Narcan's deployed, you know, we give them a business card, maybe they go to the hospital, hey, don't do drugs, but there's really no follow-up. And it's just amazing when I, I asked the question in the beginning of the class, uh, you know, how many people in here have worked cyber cases? No hands usually go up. Uh, how many people in here have worked dark web cases? You know, same thing, maybe one or two. And I'm like, how many people here have deployed Narcan? Every single hand usually goes up. How many people have had overdose deaths in their jurisdictions? Every single hand goes up. So this class really is about more of awareness to cases that likely have a nexus to the dark web. And one of the things I talk about is just simply, are you handling it as a medical call? Or are you handling it as a crime scene, right? Are you coming in there? Are you looking for evidence? Or are you just doing the bare minimum, signing some forms and getting out of there? And whether you know about the dark web, I mean, some of the preconceived notions we have are really dated, like Silk Road 2013, 2014 dated, or whether you are actively investigating it. Um, I feel that this class really will not only open your eyes to the prevalency of it, but it will also embolden you to actually pursue these cases. There's a lot that your PD can do. This isn't just some dark arts. Why, why would people, is there ever a legal justification or, or, or a reason that's non-criminal for somebody to access the dark web? Oh yeah, 100%. Um, in certain countries, uh, like even what's going on now in Cuba, um, you know, the government has a lot of control over the internet. They control a lot of the content of what you see. Uh, if they don't want you going to Facebook, you probably won't be able to go to Facebook. If they don't want you going to certain news sites that might be critical of the ruling party in that country, you won't be able to go there. So the Tor project, and, and Tor is um, the most popular browser, the Onion Router, Tor is the uh, short for it. Um, you know, they're a nonprofit run out of our country, and they run out of the United States? Yes, they run out of Massachusetts. And I donate to them every year um, because for somebody living in a country where if they just want to go to Facebook, you know, they might need to have the Tor browser just so they could log on and, and see the outside world. Or, you know, people that might be, um, you know, inside a, a, a tyrannical regime that want to communicate to maybe the news to let them know about some atrocities or human rights violations that's going on in their country. They're probably going to log on to tour. Facebook has its own dot onion. The New York Times has its own dot onion. Um, you know, CIA has its own dot onion. So a lot of these sites, um, you know, that we take for granted, like, I don't care what, you know, political views you have, but I don't believe in the sense where the government should say, you can't go to certain sites that express these views because we say you can't. And that's why some people coming to this country, they might be used to just having to log on to tour to go to these websites. And when they get here, like, oh, I could I could go on my regular Internet to these. It's like it's a culture shock. But in, in that sense, uh, you know, I don't I don't want people to be a little bit naive about that. You know, people who who are uh, who grow up here and enjoy the freedoms of our country, you know, 
if they're using Tor here, there's there's likely something that they don't want people knowing what they're doing. So that's you know another adverse effect to it is that uh, you know you or me, Dennis, we we don't need Tor to go to uh, websites that we want to go to. If we're using Tor, we're we're doing something to obfuscate our activity, and uh, that that's always a, a eye opener for some people. Now, this is important because as we'll back up to what we were talking about before going into. United States citizens using Tor today recently, and this was being recorded on uh, oh, July 16th, 2021, headline news is the White House is colluding with Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it those companies are private companies. So, you know, uh, and Nick German touches on this in his, in his open source social media class. You know, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, um, you know, the Twitters, you're not really their customer because you're not paying for anything. Right. So you kind of give up a lot when you use these services. So in the sense where if all of a sudden Facebook says you can't post about apples, you can only post about oranges. I mean, what stake do you have? You right. don't pay for Facebook. You know, Facebook's going to be the one that regulates its content. I mean, the uh, the amount of scrutiny that Facebook came under, uh, specifically with the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand, um, you know, the fact that that guy was able to broadcast live on Facebook, you know, they've enhanced their AI and their algorithms to you even mentioned vaccine or COVID in a post. What's going to pop up? You know, that little blurb, hey, click here. So... Don't be surprised if, you know, one day they say, hey, you can't share specific content. And, and that started a while ago with uh, really with Alex Jones and InfoWars. It's like they won't allow you to link InfoWars to Facebook. It will prohibit you from sharing that link on their platform. What's InfoWars? Uh, Alex Jones, they make a lot of memes about him. He's more uh, out there. A lot of uh, conspiracies. He had said, you know, Sandy Hook was a the shooting, the, the kids were, weren't really dead. It was like a, a staged event. Okay. Yeah, and more or less, um, he became prohibited from being on the platform. But, you know, as as, as much as he is, uh, he, as much out there as he is, he had warned back then, like, this is the beginning. And sure enough, you know, there's a lot of things now that Facebook won't allow you to do. And again, if, if, if we live in a society where we, um, you know, give so much control to big tech. I, I, I fail to see why we were surprised when all of a sudden they want to start telling us what to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what that's what happened to the Facebook group for Street yep. Cap Training. They were going back and I, I asked Nick about this uh, a couple of days ago when he was on the podcast about, you know, them historically going into posts from four years ago. Yeah finding drugs and dinging us on that. And we're like, dude, that's like 7,000 posts ago. To try to go in and try to start begin to scrub that would have been a task in itself, but it took me six months. And it, it's crazy because if you think about what the street cop page is for, it's not an open page. It's an invite Closer. only. It's right. a vetted group where you're only accessed here. And if it's law enforcement talking about drugs, you know, it's not like we are selling drugs, which certain closed groups do on Facebook. Like, you can buy drugs on Facebook. You can buy drugs <laughs> a lot of places, uh, Instagram, on Snapchat, like Nick talks about. So, you know, for them to all of a sudden be uh, selecting what they want to target, you know, especially if the messages that are out there are something that they don't agree with on a, a philosophical level of their company. Is what it is. We're, it we're is subjected it is, to the... It's their, you know. 
people have voiced their concern with us saying, oh, this is unfair. I go, it's their field. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I want to remind people that I built this company on the backbone of Facebook. And if you would have said to me nine years ago, hey, you're going to build this company. You're going to have great success. You're going to change the world. People are going to commit suicide. You're going to have the ability to bring new instructors out and share their specialties with the world. But at some point, they're going to shut your group down. And a week later, you're going to be able to recover 15,000 plus members. Would you be okay with that? I go, yeah, sounds like it's fair. And now we're into a fresh... And by the way, I always think everything's a blessing in disguise. So I think the people that have come back to us are really the core group of people that were most interested in us. So even though we had 87,000 members in a group, people are failing to realize, and maybe I played this a little bit in our popularity, that the algorithm's not showing... Yeah, it's eighty-seven thousand people. Until you're interacting with the algorithm, it's not showing eighty-seven thousand people our content daily. You have to be interested in it for them to show it to you. Yeah, my my wife, she uh, and I talk about this in the class too. Uh, she's d- dived into the realm of of social media, I guess, influencer, and and has a, a large platform of herself. Um, believe as of this morning she has 25,000 followers on Instagram and part of what she talks about is engagement it's like you can pay to have followers like there are oh yeah companies out there that flat out say hey give us money and we'll get you 10,000 20,000 followers basically names not real followers yeah they'll, they'll, you know there's things called click farms and yeah. stuff like that, that you ever been, see those things yeah, in like China well covered very very well covered uh in the vice newses of the world nuts, and, and isn't it nuts? yeah but um she talks about what companies look for is engagement it's like if you have 25,000 followers that are just scrolling by your content you know you're not engaging anybody we had a guy who reached out to us one time and this is maybe two years ago and he said, hey, I got 103,000 followers, da-da-da. So, I mean, we're not stupid here. We know how to – we have an 11-person media team at this junction. Yeah. So we go right into his Instagram, like, cool, you have 103,000 followers. You have two comments on your last post yeah. and four likes. <laughs> we know you bought your shit. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's not true. I'm like, you have zero engagement. Where you look at us, I mean, right now at this junction, we have uh, – what do we have? 51,000 followers on Instagram. By the way, I just started screwing Instagram. No, we have more than that. Hold on. Yeah, you... Uh, I, I only started messing with Instagram personally for the company maybe about a year ago, and we had like 2,300 followers, and that was just the the spinoff of everybody else trying to find us on Instagram. Right now, we're, we're at 50.9 thousand followers, but some of the engagement we have, just to show some... The metrics, yes, yeah. metrics. Uh, you know, here's one, 3,685 likes. Here's another one, 1,215 likes. Here's another one, 6,130 6, likes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so we have a lot of, here's another one, 561. And people really like, could you imagine this stupid video I did on this TikTok yeah. thing? Got almost 3,000 likes. It, and, you know, it, it's crazy because when you think about it, it's just how much you're bombarded with information that comes to you every day when you log on to Facebook and you log on to Instagram. And it's like, really, the, the bridge that needs to be crossed is you hitting that like button or you hitting that comment and saying something. Like, that's where the the uh, the natural organic engagement is. And for, you know, street cop training to have as much as it does, like, I would challenge any other company to, to show something comparable because in this in this in this realm yes in this realm in in the in the training for law enforcement like i fail to see any company doing that right um and it's a conversation for off the air type of stuff yeah yeah because i I understand why it's not that their their products are to get in a nutshell not that the products are subpar it's that 
having a good product versus knowing what to do with a good product are two yeah. different things. Oh, yeah. So um, I want to go back a little bit. Before you said you can buy drugs on every platform. Yeah. There are a lot of police officers who think they can just absolve themselves from knowing about these platforms. Oh, what yeah. would you say to that? I would say that you really need to wake up. Um, in the same respect that we talked about cybercrime rising, um, in the state of New Jersey, we have attorney general directives uh, dating back to the 80s about having a narcotics officer within a PD, like a dedicated narcotics officer within a PD, dependent on the number of staff that you have. Mm -hmm. There's currently no attorney general guideline on having a cyber guy. Like, you have to have a de facto cyber officer. Dedicated. How many cyber guys do you know similar to yourself in this state? Just off the top of your head. I mean, there, there's... there's I can't give a fair number, um, but I would, say, I would say that me personally that I've known with and worked with over the, the past couple of years, I'd say probably close to maybe 35, 40. And there's 10 million, 11 million people living in the state. Yeah. You've got 35 guys trying to take down an array of... It's insane. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically fighting an uphill battle. Yeah, and even then, too... I mean, think about imagine putting 35 guys on a, just a police department in a town... And to try to combat crime, we're talking about the whole state. Maybe, maybe a hundred people who are, who are after this stuff, possibly. And, and you have to look at the the adverse effects of defund the police, right? When people say that police need to be defunded or we need to not give them as much money as we do, the first stuff that gets hit is training. Realistically, when you start to trim the fat from a police department of of extra expenses per se, what's the first thing? It's going to be the extracurricular training. So if there was money allotted for, you know, officers that are specialized in these fields to go to, to specific training, um, now all of a sudden the budget's getting cut. You know, you can't take the cars away. <laughs> you can't take the, the other stuff away. What are you going to take away? Your ability to go to, to get uh, better at your craft. And, and when you take away training, unfortunately, the portion of that is you open up for a lot of liability. Yeah. You have police officers who are authorized to use deadly force with very minimal training. Uh, authorized to do a lot of things. Yeah, They're authorized under certain circumstances to, to uh, work within the Fourth Amendment to make warrantless entries. Yeah. And when they don't know how to do that, and it's found that they did it not even maliciously or with intention uh, because of malfeasance of knowledge, mm -hmm. you know, you, you are going to be subject to civil litigation. Mm -hmm. And what I try to explain to police departments is, you know, you guys are not seeing the long-term cost-effectiveness of a $299 investment sending yeah. people to training. You're going to be really pissed off when you could have sent your agency to training for $150, $300, or $1,000 each when you're paying out a $600,000 lawsuit or a $70,000 lawsuit. Or I always think about this one thing that we had uh, a larger agency here paid out a $70,000 bill to a mistake. Yeah. That $70,000 bill could have cycled all their police officers through the course, or a good amount of them, through the course that would have resolved that, and that issue would have never occurred. Actually, as a matter of fact, the ones that needed it for those circumstances would have certainly been able to be covered under that $70,000 instead. Now we have a $70,000 bill out to this woman who's a nut, who won, and she was right, unfortunately. And we have now continued, the police officers no longer have any... So now we have no trained police officers... Mm -hmm. And a, a woman who got to get a seventy thousand dollar payday on a bad arrest. Yeah, it's it's and like you to even touch on well, how how does that affect cybercrime? How does that affect you know the dark web stuff? For me, 
being where I was for for these years, um, you know, working on two separate federal task forces, and especially as I worked for the latter, dealing more with dark web related crimes and things of more specifically narcotics on the dark web. It's the the, dis, the disconnect that's there with the state, local, the tribal territory police is is astronomical. And it's not that, you know, they're being malicious, like you said, they're not doing stuff wrong for the sake of doing something wrong. It's they're doing something not improperly, but they're not going the distance that they could do, go because they just don't know better. And I, I can't think of courses of, of more importance right now uh, with, again, we talked about find a, find a faster growing crime than cybercrime. I really challenge you to do that. Courses like mine, courses like Nick German's, courses like Tom Stack's, you know, like these, this is stuff that people don't really think about as going on in their, in their jurisdictions, right? The, the local, uh, the local PD, you know, the, the guys that wear the uniform that go out there, respond to calls for service, you know, they're the ones that are deploying the Narcan. And, you know, you and I both know, uh, being in local PDs ourselves, especially with a crime scene, right? If the crime scene gets fucked up, that could cause some problems later down the line. So even just viewing a overdose call, maybe viewing it as a crime scene, maybe looking around, there's like some evidence here I could see. And after we had the first class in April, and I had posted this on the group, uh, the, the now defunct group on Facebook, which was turned uh, locked out. So we'll be importing all that stuff into the yeah. new one, just so you know. I had posted that one of the guys who attended, you know, he was a he, he was new to the detective bureau, and he he was basically assigned as like scene processing, like ID collection of evidence. Like he really isn't a uh, like a the guy who's going to be investigating per se. Like that's a separate compartment within the the department. But he was like, dude, I took your class. And he's like, you know, I, the guy was dead, younger guy. He's like, obviously this wasn't a medical thing. You know, he OD'd, the family had said like he had drug problems. He's like, you know, I took your class. And the thing about the discarded parcels, like he went, looked in the trash and right at the top, the, probably the last package this poor soul ever opened was a very weird looking package. Um, he looked at it, it came from Canada. And he was like, this is odd. And it looked almost like it might be something that like maybe makeup or something would have came in. So he called me and he's like, hey, uh, do, do you know anyone with Canada Post? Like I have this parcel here, so on and so forth. And over the years, I've, I've developed very good relationships with a lot of different federal agencies and some of our international law enforcement as well. And I have a good relationship with the RCMP. And I worked uh, some cases with a specific um, officer with the RCMP and I reached out to them and they got back to me and said, hey, listen, uh, we have an active case against who shipped this parcel. It's a, it's a carfentanil vendor in Newfoundland. Let me put you in touch with the uh, agent out of Buffalo Homeland Security that's actually working this case in tandem with us. I reached out to that agent. They were unaware of this overdose. So now this would have went completely under the radar had this detective not looked in the garbage. How about not taking your class? Yeah, in the same respect. and. A lot of these cases, specifically with strict liability, uh, drug-induced homicides, they wait for the Emmy's office to come back with the toxicology. Like, you don't necessarily need the toxicology as a confirmation that this guy died of an overdose. I mean, everything was indicative of it. It's just, you know, you take one or two uh, pills that are too hot, you're not going to have, you know, the discarded drugs or something around or the needle in the arm. But thank God this guy did it. And, and look where it's gone. You know, and if this case comes to a head, 
who knows how much, you know, federal money, the seizures that his department can get. And he, all he did was look in the trash, like literally all he did was look in the trash and found this parcel. And it was like, holy, holy smokes. Like what an, a, what a, what a great, to me, what a great success story. You know, like it's yeah, just it's good. change, change, change the way you look at it. It's one of the rewarding things about being a, an instructor is seeing your work being put to work out in the field and a lot of time and effort going into these programs and you know you spent a lot of time here developing your program yeah yeah and it actually led into my next question was what is the benefit to police departments just talked about a financial fiduciary benefit oh yeah so the federal um you know when when you have cases working with a federal uh entity the federal government has a lot lower uh i guess standards than than we do with asset forfeiture you know like they can seize money administratively without even charging somebody with a crime versus you know for local cases or state cases with narcotics it's like it's usually a big hurdle to seize people's assets federally asset forfeiture program they seize a lot and under dag 71 dag 71 you know if your if your department's involved in that case you get a percentage of that so that's a reason why a lot of uh, PDs farm their guys out to federal task forces, because that's a benefit to them is that they'll see a piece of the pie for these larger cases involving massive amounts of seizures of whether it's money, uh, you know, liquidation of assets, your department can get that. And for local guys, state guys that come to this class, I talk about working with federal partners, you know, getting on the phone with Secret Service, getting on the like when you have a, a, a Carter case or some sort of money laundering type aspect or getting on the phone with the FBI and the, the DEA when you have cases involving, you know, dark net source narcotics, you could be the, the, the cornerstone of this case. And as such, when it gets to the level of, you know, the assets being divvied out, your department could see a good amount of money. So if you look at it from a financial aspect, it's really a uh, it's not a lot of overhead for your PD to, to do these cases. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, you talk about an investment and then, you know, you can go and, and begin to dig a little deeper and, and self-train as long as you get the perspective yeah. where to begin. Like one of the things um, I talk about is, you know, people people don't realize that, especially a local PD, it's like buying drugs online. You don't know where this guy is and or guy or woman is. And 100 percent, I understand that a normal nar narcotics case going on in your jurisdiction you know you know who the guy is you're going to do maybe a ci buy then you're going to do a uc buy then you're going to bust the guy in a rip right like it's a really wham bam type thing with cyber stuff uh specifically dark web when you're when you're buying drugs online you really don't know where the shipper is right this guy could be in anywhere maybe not even in the country but for uh for pds like you could buy cryptocurrency very easily and if you're a narcotics unit and you have somebody, you have somebody that's, sorry about that. <clears throat> you have uh, somebody that maybe came forward, uh, whether a concerned parent saying, hey, my 15 year old kid, they bought drugs online and here's, here's his phone and here's who he bought drugs from, right? You can theoretically get buy money. You could do your undercover buy, have it shipped to your department Nine out of ten times, it's going to come through the United States Postal Service. Going to come right to wherever you want it shipped, and all you have to do is contact USPIS, the United States Postal Inspection Service, give them that tracking number of the parcel. They'll do their research on it, and they'll be like, "Hey, that entered the mail stream in 
Albuquerque, right? So now you might have an idea where this guy is. Call up, you know, Postal will probably open their own case with it. Maybe call DEA, FBI, Homeland. And now they might have an active case already, or you might have just uncovered something that these federal entities had no idea about because there's no shortage of people doing this stuff. Mm. So think about it this way, where now your PD is part of a federal investigation. And let's say this guy has got a, a crypto wallet, 50,000 Bitcoin. Let's just say I'm using very round numbers here. Who do you think is going to get a good percentage of it yeah. when when the case goes down? And you could cash out the Bitcoin. Uh, well, it's a little bit of a, a, a process with that, but still, yeah. eventually... Way above my head. The, yeah, the money eventually will come back to your PD. Okay, gotcha. So that's one of the reasons I could say if you're looking at it from a purely financial aspect. like what What's the benefit of, of my PD getting involved with this? It's not too hard to buy crypto. And using the stuff I talk about in, in class, it's not too hard to set up undercover accounts to buy this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, all of it's pretty much undercover, right? Yeah, and what's even better is like, you can get first degree charges very easily. One of the easiest narcotics or controlled substances to get first degree charges is steroids. You could get first degree weight on steroids extremely easy. It just, you know, it, it depends on what you want to do. The, the world is theoretically your oyster with this. <laughs> what are some, why don't you give me a, a rundown of maybe the top 10 crimes or top five crimes that are being committed on the dark web and... Oh, yeah. Um, so somebody access it through Tor, yeah. they get on there, yeah. there's a marketplace. First, the, the number one, I would say, is actually the uh, financial aspect, the, the, the stolen credit card data that... Um, you know, I t and I talk about this in the class uh, about people who buy credit card dumps, tens of maybe hundreds, tens of hundreds of, of stolen credit cards that were either sniffed from somewhere. Uh, that's where somebody's installed something and they just sniffed the data coming off or uh, part of a larger breach, maybe, uh, you know, with when Target had all those uh, the breach with all the credit cards and Home Depot and things like that. For me, if I am a person looking to make money really easily, I buy these credit card dumps and then I start to convert them to gift cards. And now, once those credit cards get flagged as stolen, they're not going to be able to be used anymore, but now I have all these gift cards that I can do whatever I want with it. To me, I would say that's number one. Number two is, is narcotics. Um, you know, just the volume of narcotics that have been around since the Silk Road, like it's just one market goes down, another goes up, and there's just so much that you could get. Uh, number three, I would, I would say child pornography, but only it, it's it's very it's a weird thing with the dark web and child pornography now uh, because they've kind of tried to push that out of there. Like it's really been a a, a consortium of uh, you know the drug dealers and the carters and stuff that don't want these sites on there because they bring a lot of scrutiny from law enforcement, but rightfully so. Uh, number four, like currently, I would say it's like uh, like COVID, like the uh, fake COVID passports or something like that. I think they were like the biggest selling thing, the COVID vaccine cards. And uh, I mean, number five, I would, uh, I would probably say now uh, offering like remote desktops, uh, virtual desktops, compromised credentials for businesses that have had to work from home because of COVID. Uh, you know, even let's just say street street cop training. If, if all of the employees had to work from home and you were doing a lot of stuff uh, 
via remote desktop protocol, these guys find ways into your system and they just sell it. Like, hey, I've got 10 companies, remote desktop protocols, virtual desktops for sale, and people buy those dumps. And that's usually hand in hand with ransomware, where now they're gonna inject ransomware into your system, or they're gonna sit on the payment side of people buying merchandise from your site and sniff credit cards from there. Oh, wow. so, yeah, so it, I would say, and that's, you know, I'm not using any cited references there, but to my view on it, I would say that that's probably the top five. Interesting. Interesting stuff. So we know there's legit, legitimate reasons. There's illegitimate reasons. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Kev. Is there anything that we missed here for the introductory talk about your about your yeah. your class, the, the dark web? Yeah, I I would say that you know we have a lot of preconceived notions when it comes to this stuff. And if I were uh, you know a patrolman, I wear the uniform. It's like why would I want to take this class? And in the same respect, if I'm a detective. Why would I want to take this class? Or if I'm a supervisor, why would I want to take this class? I tell people, if you don't think the dark web narcotics is going on in your town, sit by the post office, <laughs> sit by the UPS store, and just watch. And, you know, class is about interdiction. You know, you learn certain behaviors, certain things that are uh, not necessarily proof, but you might want to look a little bit more. I just saw this yesterday, going to get my coffee. There's a UPS store right on the main street. The kid sees me coming out with my coffee, and he doesn't go in. He stands there, and he goes on his phone, turns away. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I see that right away. Like, him, him going in would have been less conspicuous. So I go, okay. So I go around the corner, then I turn around. I look at him. He goes in. I walk back. I see it. He looks around, left and right, goes to his box, little parcel in his box he goes on his phone looks at his phone puts the parcel into his book bag and walks out of there like okay right so hey maybe he's just maybe he's maybe he's a little bit you know paranoid maybe he just you know smokes some pot and he thinks people are watching him or something maybe he just doesn't like cops when he saw me he's like he just doesn't want me to see what he's doing but first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to go to one of the postal inspectors that i've worked many cases with to go hey can you look at this address and see if there's things like Bitcoin postage going there, stuff that's indicative of dark web narcotic parcel shipments? I guarantee if he comes back and goes, yeah, it's going to this one P.O. box, who do you think it's going to be? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, like, and again, you know, I remember on the old page, some dudes were like, yeah, just because I have a server rack doesn't mean I'm a dark web guy or something like that. It's like, look, that's not what I'm, I'm not saying this is the proof you're going to kick in the door and get a search warrant because of that. I'm saying it's stuff to look at. Because when you change the way you know you perceive certain things, you're gonna start to notice more. And for my class, even with 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 uh, you know the peripheral cyber crimes, you know, people in your jurisdictions, whether if you go on Craigslist, whether you go on Facebook Marketplace, gift cards, right? That's the number one indicator is gift cards. How is somebody selling a $100 gift card at a $50 price? Maybe around Christmas time or whatever, when our family members just give us gift cards for, you know, I have a Home Depot closer to my house than Lowe's, right? And if someone gives me a $100 gift card for Lowe's, it's not much I could do with it, right? But if this person is constantly selling gift cards and constantly selling like $100, $200, $500 gift cards at a really discounted price, how is that possible? It's because this guy's a carter. This is he buying these cards through procured, uh, uh, darknet procured credit card dumps, converting them into gift cards, 
and then just making his money back by selling it. And how come nobody can track him? Well, they can. The, the Secret Service is big with the gift card stuff. Uh, Secret Service is big with, um, you know, skimmers at the gas station. You know, when people's cards get stolen, uh, not stolen, but their data gets stolen from the gas station skimming. Um, you know, it, it's possible to track them. It's just you have to know what you're like as a local PD. I would have to know like, hey, John Smith at this address, you know, he's constantly selling gift cards or things of that nature for the federal entities to work with me to figure this out. So it's really the front line is is the local, the state, uh, tribal territory even. These, this is the front line for these big cases. And for somebody who would look at my class and go, you know what, this might be a little bit too technical for me, which I understand. Some of the stuff I talk about is technical. Or somebody looking at the class where, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a couple of years. Do I want to go to this class? I have a I reach a balance for everybody. You know, I, I gauge in the beginning what the baseline is for the class. Like, hey, how many people worked cyber cases before? If no hands go up, I'm not going to get technical because it could get very intimidating very quick, especially when we go Confusing. into yeah, when we go into the cryptocurrencies. You know, they might get a little, <laughs> might yeah. lose interest. You got to speak English, right? Uh, yeah, that's 100% what I have to do. And in the same respect, you know, if you're knee deep in it and you've been working them, maybe you're going to take some things away from this class that you didn't necessarily do beforehand, which might help further your craft and, and do something more with what you're already doing. Interesting, man. Yeah. It's really good stuff. I, I think it's a real nice portion. And I think as uh, this stuff becomes, listen, it's it's growing. It's coming to the forefront. I'm glad that Street Cop Training has a program to offer, to offer some solution to what we're supposed to do in these circumstances. There are uh, a countless amount of crimes being committed and... I think everybody should at least know that they exist at a very minimum. Oh, yeah. And even further than that, know what to do and what appropriate action to take when encountering these things. Because as a law enforcement officer, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to come across things you never thought you were going to encounter. That's just the inevitable piece of the job. So why not know, at least know what this is when you see it? And like what we talk about, even specific to New Jersey, but some other states have, have comparable laws, is that in New Jersey, under the Overdose Protection Immunity Act, like... People won't talk to cops about their narcotics use because they're afraid, you know, gotcha, cuff, cuff. Reality is when somebody buys narcotics online, it's always a gamble, right? You, you don't know what you're getting. They could promote it the same way that you go to buy authentic things online and you get the knockoff, right? right. So if I am uh, somebody who has addiction issues and I go to buy oxys online, and I get sent some bad pills and I OD and I get Narcan and I wake up and I'm in a hospital bed. Maybe if the cops came to me and said, hey, you know, let's talk about what happened. Maybe I'll be mad at that vendor. Maybe I'll be mad at that guy that sold me those bad pills because I thought I was getting the real deal and now I could have been dead. And I'm going to go to tell the cops like, yeah, you know what? It, it's that guy, Joe Smith, and he sells on the dark net market here and he's like, and if I'm a law enforcement officer, the way that I've worked these cases of years, like, do you mind if, you know, like, would you give me permission to take over your account? And if I take over your account, I'm just going to do an undercover buy, have the same stuff sent to you. But instead of it going to your house, I'm just going to pick it off at the post office. You know, that's one of those things that most people don't think about. Mm -hmm. Because, again, some people might be like, right, go, go fuck yourself, right? Like, Okay, fine. That's fine. But, you know, they have the ability to talk to us fr free of, of reprimand. And a lot, of, a lot of the times, these people want help. 
and they might be angry. Yeah, <laughs> like, they might good. be very angry. <laughs> Kev, can people reach out to you if they want to to get some guidance to come across the situation? I'm always there. Uh, even before this class started, I had written an article uh, that was published on the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin about investigating voice over IP scam phone calls. And, uh, I mean, unfortunately, the comparison between law enforcement reaching out to me for help or people who have been disenfranchised by law enforcement reaching out to me for help is usually the latter. Uh, people that have been told by their local PDs that nothing can be done when in reality, yeah, certain things can be done. And I tell them, you know, maybe go to IC3.gov or something else to follow a report. But um, I'm always there to help. And, and since this class has gone, I've probably gotten maybe five people reach out to me specifically asking for assistance. And just to be clear, I mean, the class hasn't been around for a long time. No, it, April. April yeah. was the first one. And we're in July. Uh, what's a contact for you? What's your, your Street Cop email address? It's uh, Kevin Hendricks at StreetCop. Spell Kevin Hendricks. So, Kevin, it's a little bit of a augmented spelling thanks to my parents. It's K-E-V-E-N and Hendricks, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S at streetcop.com. And if you forget that, you can just email us and we'll forward it to his account. Yeah, and I, I take extreme pride in helping people out with this, especially because in law enforcement, we're so uh, complacent with not asking for help, right? Like if, if, if we need something, uh, you know, we'd rather not ask for it and, and hope we can find the answers ourselves. And look, it, it takes me no short amount of time to log online. And nine out of 10 times, what you're asking about, I probably already had some sort of dealing with and I could point you in the right direction. Uh, even with cryptocurrencies, people don't realize that there are certain federal, uh, I guess, conglomerates that exist solely to assist state, local, tribal, territory, law enforcement with cryptocurrency tracing. Like and you can connect them. And I could connect them to that. And I have the forms in my class content folder of what to email. Cool. So. Excellent. Hey, Kev, listen, I appreciate uh, all the things that you're doing. This is not the first time we'll do the podcast together. Think about what you want to offer next time for the podcast. We've got his information. Guys, check out streetcop.com. The conference, again, coming up October 4th through the 8th, 2021. You don't want to miss that. What a lineup. You're going to be at the conference, right? Yes, I will. So Kev will be doing some stuff there and giving some practical tools. We're going to give, give you five days of the best content we can possibly give you. This is not going to just be a hangout session. There will be some of that there, but... Overall, if we're asking for you to come to attend this conference, we want you to leave a practical value that you can use in the interim. Check us out on Instagram, our private Facebook group for police officers only. And if you like this podcast, tell people about it. Share. Give us a rating. Do what you got to do. We appreciate the help. We have a lot of people now tuning into this podcast, which is exciting for me. Very. And uh, I appreciate all of you tremendously. We'll still continue to do the best that we can for law enforcement within uh, reach, and we're continuing to reach from there. So, I want to, again, thank you, Kevin, for being here. Thank you. All right, and we'll see you guys later.